On today's Stuncast, we review Operation Annihilate. Hut on the trail of a 200-year-old mystery where planets break out in mass insanity, the Enterprise races to the Deneva colony where Kirk's brother lives. When the crew beams down, they find the planet is plagued by giant amoeba, one of which stings Spock. Can the Enterprise crew stop these snot rockets from taking over the galaxy? Can Kirk save Spock? Will Kirk ever talk to his nephew? Find out on set podcast to stun. Seriously, he he never talks to his nephew in this episode. Hello, feeble-minded humans, and welcome to Set Podcast to Stun, the podcast where we explore, explain, and enjoy the Star Trek franchise. I'm Clint the Q, joined by Chancellor Emily Gowron. Hey, Emily. Kappa, Clint. I am still a little hungover from the blood wine drinking we did to Mm -hmm, mourn our mm -hmm. friend Corey. Yes, as listeners will know, last week we uh, had to announce that the Cor- Centurion Cory died in a Romulan power grab. We don't know exactly what happened. He tried to, you know, climb up that Romulan ladder, but it just didn't work out for him. So we're just currently looking for a new host. Suddenly, the blast doors to the recording studio open. Shh! Oh my God, Cory! Hey guys, Joel on True. What? Oh, sorry, that's Romulan for hello. <laughs> Forgot I had my Universal Translator off. Been brushing up on my Romulan a little bit. So great to be back here in my human body. Corey, what are you doing here? We gotta we gotta report that you died. Oh, was that a Federation report? Probably wasn't very accurate if that's the case. Nope, just me in my human form. So what are we talking about today? Well, it's good to have you back. Today we're reviewing Operation Annihilation. Try saying that 600 times fast. These names. Or I guess Operation Dash Dash Annihilation! Exclamation point. I think it's actually Operation Annihilate. Oh, it is Operation Annihilate. I've just been saying Operation Annihilation this whole time in my brain. It's just more fun. (laughs) It is. It rhymes. All right. So uh, this episode originally aired April 13th, 1967. It was directed by Herschel Doherty, and it was written by Stephen W. Carabasso. All right, Corey, recently back from the dead, are you ready to uh, kick us off here and uh, take us through the plot? Mios. I mean, yeah, you bet. There's a couple Romulan phrases that I saw that I wanted to share with you really quick. There's Shara Arustos, which of course means bite me. These are all just these are all just taken from when they say it in an episode and it's subtitled. Oh, but my favorite one is Shadwar Batwar, which means run sister boy. And I was wondering if any of you knew what episode that came from, because I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. Is it can you tell me what franchise like what generation, I guess? Man, I've never I have no clue. No, I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah, because they started in TOS. Do the do the Romulans so. show up in all of them? Yes, they do. Did the Romulans show up in Enterprise? Yes. Spoiler. I don't think there's any Romulans in Voyager, now that I think about it. 
Well, anyway, you guys want to kick this off? Wait, there is a Romulan. There's one episode where they get a message through to someone, and it's like a weird ripple in time, and it's like a Romulan scientist, and it's like 30 years before they leave. And they're like, could you please just send this message to the Federation? I know you're not on great terms. And they're like, we just have to hope that he does. And then they find out that he died like right after or something. Is Romulan like a language like Klingon is? Klingon is an actual language. I was wondering that. And stuff. Corey, do you know? Yeah, yeah. It's We have our own language. We have our own culture. You might be surprised to know that like we have families that love each other. Just like Earth. I mean, they. Shut up, Mogwan. What did you call me? I, I really don't know. You know what I called you. <laughs> I, I, I no called idea. you sister boy. <laughs> no, it's it's Botwar. Botwar? Oh, well, then I called you something far worse. <laughs> My mother was a saint. <laughs> All right. Let's, how do we transition into uh, jumping into the episode? By willing it. Let's go. Take us away, Corey. Uh, much like... Much like Corey's experience uh, trying to gain admiral status, this episode focuses on mass insanity. Hey, that's a theme we can all embrace. Mass insanity. Right, so, settle around and I will regale you with the tale of Operation Annihilate. Phasering those rocks. The episode starts with the Enterprise crew looking at a map and... And someone on the bridge is describing that there is a disease running rampant through the universe that's causing mass insanity. And they can chart this disease because it makes a perfect line through the galaxy and it's been hitting planets over centuries, I guess. Yeah, it's been a long time. And the Enterprise... Oh, say that again, Clint. Yeah, it's it's been over a long period of time. And luckily, it moves in a straight line, which is very convenient. Yeah, they never really talk about why that's the case but the enterprise is at the next planet in line called deneva i really do like uh spock's little pointer thing that he has when he's spelling this all out he's got a little stylus (laughs) Uh, well he doesn't want to get the screen dirty with his fingers yeah it's smart do you guys ever watch antiques roadshow sometimes i mean it's been a while i mean i have been known to see a roadshow from time to time of the antique variety. The appraisers on that show have these little pointers that are made of wood. Oh, uh-huh. And they're very distinct. And I I decided that I needed to carve one of those, so we have one of them in the living room. And whenever I need to point out salient information to my partner, I will <laughs> I will use it. And I will also prescribe the value of things. <laughs> You're just like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And then you like run into the next room and you spend five minutes finding it and you come back and you're like, ah, ah, okay, so look at this over here. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I see you got a little. Uh... You've got a little dent on this side. So I'm afraid, cat, uh, your value is negative <laughs> 12. Um, so no one has any idea why this disease is spreading across the galaxy. Bones has no medical explanation for it. When, oh my gosh, suddenly there's an emergency. They pick up that a single craft pilot, like a fighter jet, is uh, leading Deneva and it's heading straight into the sun. Kirk tries to catch up. And they all, they have a wide shot of the bridge while this is happening. 
And there's like a lot of people on the bridge, including four women. And everybody literally is just paused and watching the TV (laughs) or the screen, I suppose, where they're showing this. It's a really like oddly static shot. I want to say, too, like in the last episode, there was also just like a random Asian woman. Right, Emily? Just like standing in the middle of the bridge right next to Kirk. Yeah. To this, like, when you're, if you're looking at the screen, it's to the right of Kirk. And also in this episode, there's another woman. She seems African American, but she's also just standing around doing nothing. And at first, I was like, oh, what a nice way to include women. But now that it's another woman, I'm like, oh no, it's like Kirk just be like, I need some arm candy. So just assign a yeoman to stand by me at all times when I'm on the bridge. I think I've seen this yeoman before. Cycle her out. <laughs> they just shoot her out into space. They kind of threw out the whole yeoman thing, didn't they? Like, they don't really call people yeoman anymore, and there's not, like, the yeoman bringing them martinis on the bridge. Did you guys notice that? Well, in this episode, yes, there is, right as they're about to go down to the planet, Kurt tells this ethnically ambiguous woman, yeoman, I want a transcript of everything that happens on this planet. Mm-hmm. Which she goes down, but I don't really see any trans like that never comes back up into the plot. But you're right. Up until now, we haven't had a yeoman. I think everyone needed to mourn along with us, Janice Rand. But it's the same uniform, the short little skirt, and they call her a yeoman. We do get to see Janice Rand's, the actress's replacement quite a bit in this episode, but we will get to that. So Kirk tries to catch up with the ship that is falling into the sun. And the pilot, while he's falling into the sun, is like, I did it. It's finally gone. I'm free. And we're, we're not sure what's going on. Like, is he committing suicide? Is, is he part of the mass insanity that's happening to the planet? My thought when this was happening was, oh, my God, is this Lazarus again? He just appeared in <laughs> another episode. <laughs> But no, it's not. So Kirk tries to catch the ship, but he's not successful. He gets very close to the sun while he's doing it, which was kind of surprising. Didn't really seem worth it. I know, uh, but that's just who Kirk is. If he wants to play chicken with the fucking sun, he's going to play chicken with the fucking sun. <laughs> and the sun blinked. Yeah. <laughs> it blinked the other ship out of existence. <laughs> So now we got we got the problem that this insanity has definitely arrived on Deneva. And then McCoy reminds Kirk that his brother lives on Deneva. And then Kirk has a reaction like, oh, shit, you're right. Like he forgot about that. I didn't think he forgot. McCoy was like, wait, doesn't your family live there? And he's like, yes. I think McCoy forgot. But yeah, the I don't know if it's the very first opener, but or if it's after the guy crashes. Uh, but Ohura is trying to contact Deneva and they're not responding. And Kirk tells her, well, try this. And she's like, that's a private channel. And he's like, I know. <laughs> so then later when McCoy's like, doesn't your brother live there? Then we know that, oh, that's who he's trying to contact. Oh, I didn't put that together. That totally makes sense. The, the very next thing that happens in that scene is Scotty tells us all about the economic trade qualities of Deneva and he goes on for like 30 seconds talking about like how they import and export cargo and I was just thinking like (laughs) please tell me more about their cargo industry I feel I feel like this is something that happens a lot in this show and I can't tell if it's because we're so far away from when it first came out 
or if it's an issue of writing where okay spoiler alert the madness is obviously contagious and there's a part where we find out that it was brought here by some freighters but they didn't know at the time and so this bit about them being big traitors is supposed to be like foreshadowing or or building in this world of like oh my gosh they brought a disease aboard or whatever but it's not clear like even that bit that i noticed where Kirk is trying to radio on a private line. It went right past you, Corey. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think it is just maybe the hints are too far apart from one another for the lines to be easily drawn. Or maybe we just have a different expectation of television. But I feel like these kinds of miscommunications happen a lot between the show and us, the audience. Or maybe I'm just really dumb. (laughs) Too dumb for Star Trek. You fit in perfectly with the Romulans. Hey. Okay, so they beam down to the planet, which was weird because, like, without any protocol, they're like, okay, there's something shitty going on down there, and everyone is insane. Let's beam down. There's, like, no (laughs) gas masks or anything like that. But they beam down to uh, the campus at UCLA. It's actually not... A couple scenes were filmed at UCLA, but the campus itself, it's the TRW Space and Defense, like, business building. It's a, it's a cool looking uh, building. It's like a complex. It looks kind of like a college. I wrote a bit that there's a part where Kirk calls Deneva the most beautiful planet in the galaxy. And I said, the most beautiful planet in the galaxy looks a lot like a Southern California college campus. <laughs> I hated all the outdoor art, though. Like all the art scenes. I'm like, this looks that's, so that's awful. Classic Clint. I hate art. Why do they got to put I it in my art. show? I, I hated the scenery, too. I thought it was very very dated like it looked like i was like yeah that was a building built in the 60s when they thought that this would be all futuristic and instead it just looks like a shitty old building i hated all the outdoor scenery there are camp there are buildings at the campus here in reno at unr where you walk into it and it's just like oh like a a waft of 1960s comes out Mm -hmm. uh the trw space and defense center they they were famous for doing a lot of aerospace and engineering and like they designed the pioneer 10 and 11 satellites so i think it was kind of fitting that they they did the filming here it's kind of fun i also read that they um they designed the inventory system for the army helicopter inventory let me read that again they designed the inventory system for like army helicopters that's that's a pretty interesting fact, isn't it? Do you want to know the name of the guy who designed that? Uh, R.T. Helicopter. Is it um, Gene Roddenberry? No, the engineer's name is Dick Pick. <laughs> no, no. D i c k p i c k. And the 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 system that he created, they formally call it the. The Dick Pick Database Management System. Ah, that's great. <laughs> oh my god. I feel like my soul just left my body just now. Hopefully he died before cell phones proliferated. Hopefully he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> what have you done to my name? Whatever, I'd be pumped if somehow Emily became like a slang for sex scene. I'd be like, I'm fine to be associated with this. Whatever. Haven't you heard of an Emily Katsanis? 
Oh, well, obviously that, but that's because I invented it. Yeah. Sexting cat's anus? I don't understand. Okay, so... <laughs> Emily cat's anus! Alright, so as soon as they get down to the planet and they're just standing around this campus, they notice that nobody's there. And all of these, um, suddenly, down these stairs, all these angry men come with plastic tubes in their hands. I, those plastic tubes are great. And they're in rainbow-colored jumpsuits, just like the uniforms of the miners on the Meatloaf yeah. puppet episode. Mama Meatloaf. So, once again, the prop department is really getting their money's worth. Oh, we don't want to hurt you. We're going to beat you up, but we don't want to hurt you. Yeah, they're just screaming. Get out of here. here. Get out of here. And the away team just, like, levels them with stun phasers. And does not take their advice. They continue going into the campus and they go into um, Kirk's brother's lab because his brother's a biologist. And when they go in there, they see a bunch of dead bodies and there's a lady in there and she's all in hysterics. And she's surrounded by all these dead bodies. And there's like a kid lying on the floor. And there's a quick cut to... Wait a minute. uh, They never resolve the kid. Yeah. And I want to talk about how thankful I am later on about that. But they cut to a, a shot of Kirk's dead brother. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Do you guys want to talk about the dead brother really quick? It wasn't Kurt. It wasn't. It wasn't William Shatner with a mustache, right? It was like a different person. It was not. I just want to make one thing clear. It was not William Shatner with um, some makeup and a mustache. Oh, I wish it was. No, the only thing I want to say about it is that his brother is named Sam. And I, too, have a brother named Sam, and apparently my brother Sam is the only one that survives, because I've also found a YA novel called My Brother Sam is Dead. (laughs) Is that one of those novels where someone gets cancer and it's just a slow decline and watching them die, like we all read when we were kids? No, I think it's about the Revolutionary War. It was like a banned books week at my job, and... My boss was there and I found that book and I was like, oh my gosh, you have to take a picture of me with this book. And I was like pouting and she's like, why'd you take the picture that way? And I was like, oh, my brother's name is Sam. And she was just like, oh, now you have a picture of that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, guys, it was William Shatner with a mustache. Wait, was it really? Yes. Oh, delightful. I love it. I need to go back and find that now. I couldn't tell. I mean, it was like a third of a second like it was such a quick shot because it was the star of the show with a mustache as the star of the show's brother it would make sense not to pay another actor to someone else, right you're already paying <laughs> william shatner to do work so why not just slap a mustache on him right i want to say his son though is like the most typical like 1960s like child yep be freckled red hair i said that it, when Corey has his bit of 1960s boy i this is what i imagine he looks like he's got like the red hair and the giant freckles gosh <laughs> i don't have any she will occurs boy howdy. honestly i didn't i didn't mean to unleash the plague of b amoeba honest oh fake, i bet you're real fake sore vomit now. jellyfish <laughs> the boy was craig huxley that's even a 1960s name. Here are the movies that Craig Huxley was in. He was in Dead Poets Society. He was in Star Trek Inside the Roddenberry Vault. And then he was in, he he played in the Orville. He was also in Adam 12, The Flying Nun, and Bewitched. Well, lots of people got their start in Star Trek. 
It's lot, lots of opportunities to play a big character and also a corpse. Yeah, he he does not wake up. And I think in the script, he was supposed to wake up and they're supposed to have a scene with him, but he never he never comes to. Um, they just do shots of, of him lying in the, in the sickbay bed. And I don't know about you guys, uh, and I was going to talk about this later, but I am very thankful that that boy never woke up because the second I saw that this episode had a kid that featured in the first 10 minutes, my first thought was, God damn it. Because when there's a kid, they become the the fulcrum that the crisis of the episode revolves around. Like maybe he summoned the sickness or maybe he's like the king of the sickness or maybe whatever. But like, you're gonna have to get a bunch of kid dialogue. Yeah, I think this has come up before how much you dislike children in Star Trek, just because they do like, become the center of episodes and they become the center of episodes. But whatever stakes are involved, you know, aren't real because the children aren't going to be there next week. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. But with Wesley, you did know he was going to be there next week. So he had plot armor. So it's like a damned if you do and damned if you don't sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, like, you know, they're not going to kill a child, but they also are like trying to justify why he's there amongst all these adults all the time. So they give him like super special abilities and that's very annoying. So down, uh, so in this room, the the his, the lady in hysterics is Arleon. Arleon, what's her name? Kirk's sister-in-law. Yeah, Kirk's sister. Doesn't matter. She dies. Yeah. So she is like freaking the heck out, and they they take her up to to sick bay, and she after like she takes a sedative, she comes to, and she she does like the the vague speech where she only like uses pronouns and like really really big so she's like horrible things from space things not their fault they come not their fault like like that doesn't help me give me one noun give me one noun kirk finally learns how to ask a question yeah we get some cross-examination huh what things what kind what kinds of things which to be fair this is a big development for kirk he's never done it before (laughs) He would usually just be like, shut up and tell me what they were. Shaker. Woman, what are you saying? (laughs) You're hysterical. Bones, also, he sedates her twice, like once on the planet and once on the ship. And he sedates her so fast. Whoa, whoa. No feelings out of that alcohol hold. (laughs) Well, he says that um, she's like resistant to sedation. Right. Or something within her is. Yeah. Also, unusually, she dies on screen, and it's, like, a very painful death. She's, like, screaming and just, like, screams into death. I thought that was kind of shocking. Like, you don't see things like that on TV very much anymore. All deaths happen off screen, and if they don't, they're really, like, gentle. This was quite... She died a traumatic death. That sounds like a great metal band, Screams Into Death. (laughs) Dibs. And you know she died... Because they, even though it's the future, they still have the trope of like, you know, the monitor. If, if we're watching Grey's Anatomy, like it'll level out and then we know the person has died. But in Star Trek, the way they do it is that there's, there's also a monitor above the sickbay bed, but it's a bunch of arrows that are like kind of moving up and down around the middle. And then um, when someone it's dies. It's like a music mixing board. Yeah, that's a good way of describing it. I do like the design of their medical measuring machine instruments. Yeah, I like it. I like that we've seen it before. There's a really early episode where Bones is fucking with Kirk and makes him do like 
wall sit-ups inexplicably and they have the same monitoring device and i think they have the similar one of the the one with the silver eyes yeah we see it all the time we see it a ton i do like that they're remaining consistent in the design yeah and we found out on this episode that there is one dial specifically there to measure how much pain someone is feeling and i thought that that was kind of neat oh that is interesting i didn't catch that it sure is the future, Jim. <laughs> I can measure the pain. So now Kirk's brother is dead, his sister-in-law is dead, his nephew is on death's door. So he has a very personal stake in solving what the heck is going down on the planet. He beams down. But obviously not enough to tell us what happens to the nephew at the end of the episode. Does he live? Does he die? He's an orphan and presumably Kirk has just shot him back to the planet. Like... We don't get a resolution oh, to that shit. plot You're line right. at all. They don't say anything like your nephew's back and he's going to go down to the planet and live nope. with his aunt or whatever. They don't do that. Yeah, he just kind of fades into the background. Not even into just non-existence. <laughs> yeah, they don't even talk about like there's a part where they have this treatment and Spock's like, you have to test it out on me. And they don't even say like, and then we could try your nephew or we're going to say like they don't even bring him up in that scene either. It's really weird. Uh, so... Kirk is, like, pissed off now. He beams down to the planet where there's an away team. And they are, they're, all they know is that they're looking for something. Something is is taking control, because that's what his sister-in-law said. Um, they set their phasers to Force 3, and they're looking for a creature. After no time at all, really, they go inside of a building, and they see the creature. The creatures. This will be fun. How did you guys describe the creatures? I said... Fake vomit with an intestine in it. I said flying slug scabs. <laughs> I'm going to say giant bloody snot rockets. Yeah, they're gross. They're like these flat jellyfish. I like the yeoman woman who I was just looking up. It's yeoman. Yeoman Zara. Yeah. And she's uh, she was born in French Morocco. She's like, they don't even look real. I think that was them like hedging their bets where like... <laughs> They were being like, man, these they're things like, look this awful. Looks too cheesy. Yeah, <laughs> and they're like, well, we'll just cover our bets with this line of like, they're so alien, they don't even look real. They're like, look, I know it's the 1960s. These look bad for the 1960s, gentlemen. This is something I actually really appreciate about TOS, though. Like in TNG, every planet they go to is just humanoids. They never encounter like creatures or animals and here we've gotten quite a few aliens that are like not like humans and i really enjoy that i also really enjoy the special effects as they flew off of the wall i like when they hit them with a phaser and then they just plop <laughs> on the ground <laughs> yeah it's just like and it's You know, there is one episode of TNG that features, like, aliens that aren't humanoids, and it's the one where those things, it's kind of like this episode, but, like, these creatures have infested Starfleet Command, and they've taken them over, and it is so tonally, it's such a weird episode, because it has a oh, lot of yeah. body horror, it's like it was directed by Wes Craven, It's it's or John Carpenter, it's a very strange, very violent episode. Oh, is this the one where they, like, turn into animals? Well, it's the one where the guy's head explodes. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know that one. There's one where, like, 
something happens and they all start like reverting to some primordial soup. We don't talk about that episode, Emily. That's the worst episode of TNG. It's called Evolution. (laughs) Don't talk about it, please. It scares me. I remember watching that one as a kid. I was like, oh my God, I was so freaked out by it. It was such a freaky episode. That would be really scary as a kid. What about the TNG episode where Deanna gets impregnated by a light? I don't remember Okay, that again, way. we don't yeah. talk about episodes where Deanna is the star of that episode, okay? There's only about 27 episodes you guys can talk about. <laughs> In the eight seasons. Yeah. Um. Well, so anyway, Spock gets a real science boner for these jellyfish bats, and then one flies at his back and attaches and vampires him. Yeah. It's just as cheesy and delightfully overdramatic as it sounds. They take him up to sickbay because he is uh, kind of unconscious. And we see Nurse Chapel. And I don't know how many times we've seen her before this. Is this Majel Barrett again? Yeah, yeah. Lux- Luxwana Troy. I thought so. Good eye, Emily. Yeah. Um, you know who doesn't have a good eye? Bones, because him and his nurse are not wearing gloves or face masks or anything while they're operating on Spock, and I did not care for that. Well, because they're all, it's the future, and they're all sanitized. No, and they don't need seatbelts, also. Dr. Crusher wears gloves. Does she? Yeah, she does when she's doing surgery, and that's even further in the future. She's in, like, a gown Bones is just gross. Yeah. Uh, actually, the best operating uh, outfit is in DS9, uh, where what's his butt wears like a like a Teletubby outfit, and it's bright red. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Bashir, right? Bashir. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So we find out, like, basically, these things are like yurks from animorphs. They just go into your body <laughs> and they control your body. And the more you try to resist them, the more they're going to like kill you. And that's what happened to Kirk's sister-in-law. She was trying to give them information. The thing in her body didn't like it, so it killed her. McCoy, uh, throughout this episode, will be like he has no solution. He he cannot explain what's going on. Um, like usual. Yeah, he was not particularly useful. He's not a scientist. I'm just a simple country doctor. <laughs> now have some alcohol, Jim. You're really you're killing it with that McCoy accent, Emily. It's really <laughs> really developed it well. Just channeling my inner Georgian gentleman, Clint. <laughs> Once again, they leave somebody in sickbay who is an unknown threat without any security whatsoever. Spock has this thing in his body. They know that something's up with him, um, but they just leave him there by himself. All right, bye. (laughs) Yeah, Um, and Spock immediately, like, breaks his restraints. Oh, he doesn't even have restraints on at that time. He just immediately, like, walks out. He goes to the bridge. He's trying to control the ship, and a fight scene happens where Spock fights everybody on the bridge at the same time. It's a pretty cool scene. Well, just the men. Specifically the women. He went out of his way to punch yeah, every woman. He punched bridge. a woman. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, if you have an older cousin who's like 14 and then like four like five-year-olds and the five-year-olds are all like grabbing on his legs and like wrestle with us and the teenager's just like, I can walk through you. <laughs> That's what happens. Spock is like mobbed by toddlers. Well, he does have the strength of four to five men. Yeah, apparently. Mm-hmm. He's very strong. They finally sedate him and they put him in restraints in sickbay. 
and they find out Spock is like trying to resist this and the more he resists it resists it the more pain he's in so he starts like saying a mantra to himself to try and control the pain and you're like you're not sure if he's actually controlling it or not or if he's just trying to fool everybody but he breaks free from his restraints again. I'm just glad McCoy was able to uh, sedate him without accidentally sticking a needle in himself again. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, did that happen in the last episode? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I wouldn't know. I was dead. So when Spock breaks free again, he goes to the transporter bay where he runs into Scotty and uh, another crewman and... Um, Spock takes out the crewman and then Scotty like gets the drop on him and takes out his phaser and he's like nice and easy Mr. Spock I don't want to have to shoot you but I will and then Kirk comes in and then like Scotty or Spock is like look I'm fine I am not I'm not under control of this alien I can fight this and like still you're not sure whether or not he's telling the truth but Kirk seems to believe him and Kirk lets him beam down to the planet. Well, because he says, we have to fight this, and I'm the only one, logically, who could go and get a sample without getting hurt more. So that's how he convinces him. Logical argument. I liked it, too, where McCoy is like, what, you can't send him down there? And don't give me, like, that argument, that, that logical argument that he's the only man for the job. And then Kirk puts him in his place. He's like, yeah, because we both know it's true. And he just walks off. And it's like, Bones is like damn shut me up he's he's also mccoy's also particularly annoying because he goes to kirk and he's like listen i know that spock's your friend and then your family died and your nephew's sick right now but you have a responsibility to help those colonists oh yeah i remember that he's like because kirk's like we need to help like we need to solve this problem and like help these two people and then bones is like well there's a million people down there and I'm just thinking, like, yeah, but, like, how can you, like, if you can't help these two people, like, trying to concentrate on a million people isn't going to help you, right? Like, you need to help, the, you need to figure out what's wrong with these two people before you can help the million people. Yeah, it's like, no shit bones, go to your lab and get to work. Yeah, this is kind of a problem throughout Star Trek, though, also, is that it's like, what gives you jurisdiction over an entire planet? Well, it's a Federation planet. Yeah, but, like... It's still, that's like saying like, oh yeah, you know how we're during World War II and you're like in charge of one boat? Well, you happen to be off the coast, so now you're in charge of our entire theater in France. Isn't there like literally anyone else in Starfleet who has more experience than Kirk that could come and assist? No, Kirk's the man for the job. I'm the man for every job. That's why he's the captain. He takes responsibility when other people can't captain means captain of the universe in case you forgot exactly uh well i will say the captain of the universe does finally do something that clint and i will be excited about he does contemplate murder and in this case uh genocide of the entire planet again good old order 24 right yep yeah execute order he definitely has like a an monologue um What's that called where you can like hear his thoughts? His voiceover. He has a voiceover where he's like, I cannot risk it spreading beyond this colony, even if it means destroying a million people down there. Wait, there's a thoughts voiceover? No, there's not. There's a, well, he's doing like a captain's log. So it's like a voiceover where he's saying that. 
Also, we never get an explanation of why the characters kill their, or the characters, the aliens kill their host or why they want to spread. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's, I don't know if it's like a weird spawning thing, right? Where they need hosts to like spawn babies or whatever, but it's just like, yep, they just like injecting people with these tentacles and then like to flop around. Yeah, and it doesn't. It doesn't make sense, like, if they can exist outside of a body, why would they need to control bodies? Well, they're using the hosts to build ships to move to the next planet. They're, like, moving in a straight line. I mean, that's the best explanation I can give you. But why do they care? Because they're, like, a disease, and they all they want to do is spread, and this is, like, their... This is how they reproduce. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. No, sure doesn't. Uh... Spock is successful in getting his specimen and he comes back up to the ship and then that's when you're like oh he really is fighting this thing and he's not like trying to betray them the there's like a 25% of the episode where they're just like debating what these things are like how do you kill them I mean they're, they're just doing a bunch of scientific tests a bunch of people like everyone's just yelling at each other because the stakes are so high and Spock and McCoy cannot figure out how to kill this thing and they like they find out that it's a single brain cell of a larger monster i guess well they're like they're like a hive mind or something and there's a particularly good conference room scene where they're just like we only have a little bit of time left and kirk's like really agitated and he's just like he's screaming at them like you guys need to figure this out we can't kill them all and we can't there are two alternatives hold on i'm trying to remember it's either we kill them all or we let them go on yeah and he's like i want a third alternative give me that third alternative and they still don't know and then the big light bulb moment no pun intended is they're arguing about like <laughs> what what how do we kill this thing and kirk is staring at this blinking light on his console and he's like wait the sun and then we remember the pilot at the beginning of the episode who flew into the sun and said i'm free so like what kirk's like uh, people list things about the sun hurry go and they've already tried right they tried to like hit it with radiation they tried to hit it with hot temperatures right and and mccoy said that like these temperatures would you know burn spock to a crisp and it would be too much radiation for them to to handle i also want to like walk back a little bit and they were talking about this is a weird part too that like these huge amoebas might even come from another galaxy in a place where physics doesn't work the same the same as in our galaxy so that's why they're resistant to phaser fire is because they come from a place where like physics is different which i thought was kind of dumb too it's it's just this pattern of over explaining things that we don't need to over explain like lazarus being a travel a time traveler as well as a space traveler we didn't need that additional explanation but then under explaining parts of the plot that we really do need like did your nephew survive (laughs) why do the jellyfish blood clot want to do this exactly i like when he's like what's the sun like tell me give me some adjectives and they're like it's round. It's There's, yellow. It, it exists. It has gravity. That's the first thing that Spock yeah. says. It exists. Oh, okay. Thanks. And then and then Kirk's looking at this light and he's like, it emits light. That's something about the sun. And right. the, yeah, they, 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 they figure out that like the way that you kill these things is that you expose them to a lot of light. In my notes, I wrote light, 
period. Oh my. <laughs> there, there's a pretty great like scene where they're doing tests in McCoy's lab, which I guess is the first time we, we've ever seen McCoy's lab. And there's like a closet and then everybody's sitting outside the closet. And the first thing they do is they put the creature inside and then they blast it with light. And yeah, it turns it into, um, it just turns it into like apple juice and they know it works. And then there's a big soap opera sort of debate like, well, we need to be able to put this on everybody on the planet, but we need to test it out first. And they decide that they're going to put Spock in to test it out if it works. Don't do that. It'll burn his eyeballs out. Damn it. It's our only option. So they put Spock in the dentist chair and they close the closet and they blast him with five billion candles per square inch or whatever it is. Yeah, he goes into like um, in the original Willy Wonka movie with Gene Wilder, the Mike TV scene. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good. He basically goes in that. Yeah. So the concern is that they're going to burn out his optical nerves and he'll never be able to see again. And but they don't even give him goggles like they're wearing goggles outside like they did nothing to mitigate this at at all at all. And worse than that, they don't even tell him when they're about to turn the lights on because he's just like looking around the closet and then suddenly they flip the switch and he like closes his eyes really fast. But it's a little bit too late. Like at the very least, they could have been like, "Okay, spot, close your eyes. We're about to flip the switch. But they just go, poink. I mean, listen, OSHA clearly doesn't exist in this world. What else should we expect? They don't even have locks on their doors. Yeah. They said, though, that like the when they radiate the planet or whatever with light, it'll be so bright that even enclosed dark spaces will be affected. So I think it was so bright that, I mean, even if you close it or if a human closes their eyes... You'll still be blind because there's so much light that your your eyelids wouldn't be able to block it. Oh, okay. So they needed to do a real test. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And what happens to Spock, Corey? It's really sad, actually. Spock is now blind. And worse than Forever. that, we find out that it it's not light that kills these things. It's UV light. So his blindness was all for nothing. And Kirk is at McCoy, which I didn't really understand why. Like, McCoy was just doing a science experiment. Well, but later he's like, McCoy, it's not your fault. You couldn't know. He kind of is nice about it. Yeah, but at first like, like Kirk is just like, how could you do this? Like, how could you be so negligent? And it was like, Kirk, you were here the whole time. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, Kirk, maybe your leadership style of screaming at people is not conducive to great work. Yeah. He screams at Ahura earlier in the episode. I was like, "Jeez, man, go easy." Oh yeah. She she shuts him right down. It's actually pretty great. Like it's when she's radioing the planet and they get like this weird help message and then it cuts off and he's like, "Get them back." And she's like, "I can't." And he's like, "I don't want to hear your excuses, lieutenant." And she just like stiffens up and she's like, that's not going to be possible right now, Captain. They cut off the transmission. And he's like, okay, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> that was great. Like, it was it was the right amount of sass without, like, people in the 60s being like, oh, my God, a black woman. I don't know. Like, I thought that was just really, uh, it was just, like, the perfect response to really. To be like, you're out of line, Kirk. Yeah, it was great. I think more people need to take a page out of her book. Yeah, she really Scotty it did it to yeah, Scotty did it to Spock, too, when he's trying to beam down. And Scotty's just like, sorry, no, Captain's orders that you can't go anywhere. And if you try, I'm going to phaser you. Like, again, it's just the right amount of sass that 
you're not like oh insubordination but you are just like oh this is some interpersonal conflict this is why it's so important to establish your boundaries like with your coworkers, with your family like say what your boundaries are and make it be known and that's the best way to communicate effectively just for the record, I would prefer not to be blinded as part of one of your science experiments, Clint and Corey. No promises. Copy that. Fair. Okay, so they decide they like they don't have to blast the planet with light. They're going to put 210 UV satellites into orbit, and they're going to blast the planet with that, which I thought might cause other problems. Like, hey, it turns out everyone has cancer now, but um, all the slug scabs die, and... Oh, did you guys notice when they're all dying and they're turning into like bubbling piles of goo, the same sound is playing as when we saw the blink winks in the Lazarus episode. The same horrible timpani, uh, annoying sound. Oh, so they re- they recycled no, that. No, I did not notice no. that. Good catch, Corey. The sound effects department is getting their money's worth. And then the very last thing that happens is Spock comes on the bridge and he's fine. His blindness was just temporary. So that's the episode. <laughs> that was the worst part where they like made such a big deal out of it. And then Spock is like, lol, I have a second set of eyelids. So that helped me. Yeah, I, I let you all go through this existential horror and ch- torture yourselves for no reason. I forgot to tell you about that. Well, I didn't think he knew that he was going to not be blind. I mean, he was just like, oh, I'm not blind anymore. <laughs> lucky me i'm glad i have that second set of eyelids but it's another just like typical way that these like tos episodes ends where it's like oh spock's an alien (laughs) like i mean i like the silliness of the little quip but i don't like it being this like plot resolution in 10 seconds yeah (laughs) and then he's like oh well (laughs) like kirk is just oh well my brother died lol yeah, and I'm not going to mention my orphan nephew. So it was a it was a weird ending, and this is the end of the season, isn't it? Which makes it even weirder. It'd be funny if Kirk is like, okay, let's get out of here, warp five, and someone's like, Kirk, but your nephew, don't you have to you know, take warp charge of him? Warp five. And, and he says- I said warp five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's eight. He can work in a mine. He'll be fine. We'll send him to that planet with the shag carpet monster and he'll have brothers and sisters galore. That's your new mommy yeah. now. Have some diamonds for dinner. <laughs> okay, let's let's um take a step back. Let's go into orbit and then let's look at this episode um, very subjectively because I have strong feelings about this episode. The, but the first thing I want to say is that um, this episode was like it was a mandatory episode because one of the story editors in his contract, he was supposed to write at least one episode and it was his turn to do it. And he didn't have one ready. (laughs) And so you could tell he wasn't like super, he didn't want to write an episode. And Gene Roddenberry comes to him and he's like, Hey, I got a great idea for an episode. It's called, it's called operation destroy slug monsters take over Spock and everyone gets all wacky. And then the guy was like, okay, I, I don't have any ideas, so I'll just do that. And so he adapted Gene Roddenberry's idea and changed. He's, I, I, I like, he's probably like, Operation Destroy is such a stupid name for an episode. I'm not going to do that. No one goes against the boss man, but I'm going to put my foot down on this one. What are you going to name the episode? Okay, how about this? Operation Annihilate. Oh, that's a good one. 
Ooh. The title, though, doesn't even correspond to anything that happens in the episode. Yeah, because I guess you could make the intuitive leap that they're trying to annihilate these monsters, or I don't know. Or are the monsters trying to annihilate the people? Yes. Well, the Annihilator becomes the Annihilated. Dun-dun-dun! It was a... Listen, I enjoy silly episodes, but this was a real dumb one. That's a good time to go into our reviews of the episode unless unless you have anything else to say Corey. this is one of three episodes in tos where they say damn that's all i got oh who says it mm. when damn i don't know dude <laughs> <laughs> all right well Corey, since you're recently back from the dead we'll give you the first uh the first review what do you think hmm okay some episodes we watch are just, they're not good, and I passionately, passionately don't like them, like the Lazarus episode or mm. Mud's Women. Like, those are just really bad episodes, and there's so much to hate. This is a very bad episode, and it's so, it's it's very boring and very mm-hmm. muted, and the problem's not that interesting. There are some episodes of TNG that, I, I hate, but I'll watch just because I don't like them. And they're so, like, wacky. I was trying to think of, like, what's the closest episode in TNG to this? And I was thinking Future Imperfect, which is the one where Riker goes into the future. and He's, like, all old, but he's, like, it's a trick. Um, you guys remember that one? Like, his beard's all gray. Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. And he is a son. John Luke. John Luke, yeah. It's not one I ever want to watch again. And I just feel the same way about this one. It's just so milk toast and not interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it. What about you, Emily? I also did not really care for it. I mean, there is some cheese and it tries to be lively, but it's really poorly written. I want the conflict to be more genuine. Like, what if the monsters make you... Horny. I don't know. It's It's like that farm episode where they go and all the people are like, this fungus infects us and now we're super healthy and we don't need to grow like we don't care about capitalism anymore and we're great and what if the jelly monsters did that but you lived a much shorter lifespan they need to take over because they run through the human bodies really fast but the humans themselves are like listen i know i'm gonna die in six years instead of 60 but I, my arm regrew or whatever. And then Kirk has to kind of decide, is it good or bad to let these creatures live? That would pose a real moral dilemma. The, the conflicts and the dilemmas in episodes like this are not good conflicts. Of course, figuring out how to get it out of these people is what you're going to do. Yeah, like, it's, it's so black and white. Yeah, I don't know. It's like predetermined. Like the characters aren't making any choices. And so because they don't have to make choices, they don't have to make hard choices, you know that they're going to succeed. Like the the stakes aren't real. Um, So I found that all pretty, yeah, it's pretty boring. Um, It's really, really disorganized. It feels like a rough draft of something. Yeah, and it took frustratingly long for them to figure out the connection with the sun. Yeah, and it's pretty random, too. I mean, in their defense, for all they knew, that was just a crazy guy because this disease causes insanity. But, like, we didn't, 
I think one reason to really not like it is because nothing really made sense. So these beings, their goal is to take over humans or whatever creature and use them to build ships so they can move to the next planet. But everyone just becomes insane and wipes out their own civilization because they said every single time. Yeah, like I didn't understand how it wiped out their civilization. I didn't understand why nobody was answering. Like it it just was very, um, yeah, there were no, nothing was linked together. Nothing was explained. It was, it was really weird. Because ideally, I think if you're going to punch this up, like this would be like a proto Borg thing where, because it doesn't make sense that everyone goes insane and all the civilizations become destroyed. Like, no, now there's a thing living inside of you. And it has a specific mission and your society is still going to continue, but it's all to feed the purpose of this extra dimensional creature Mm. and like whatever it's trying to do. Maybe it's trying to build a huge stargate and it takes like nine star systems worth of people and resources to do that. Yeah. And that would be more of like, or even like a genuine conflict. I mean, this works more for Picard than Kirk because he doesn't care, but like, okay, these people are living this semi-symbiotic relationship or is this creature taking over do we have a right to exterminate this creature it is a living being even if it's a parasite is that really its fault those would be interesting conflicts because they don't have easy answers but here it's just like run in and punch something kirk the creatures have no clear goal right they just like hang out and then they sting people right they just go through and sting the whole planet it's not like anything like they need to sting a person to reproduce, right? And the person will explode yeah, in see, amoebas. Yeah. Or, yeah, exactly. If they would like, if they sting people to get nutrients, like they feed on people's pain, that would be cool, right? If they like cause this terrible yeah. pain in people and they like psychically feed on that pain, that would be cool. Or it would have been interesting if like, what if, you treated this like an invasive species, but it functioned like a mosquito and malaria. So like these jellyfish are native to this planet and they play some role in the ecosystem, but they have a parasite that infects them that they pass on to people and that makes people, you know, writhe and die in agony. And so, you know, they've been trying to hunt these creatures and it's created all these problems in their environment and then they finally you know starfleet comes along and helps them cure the parasite that the creatures have so they can't transmit it on to people so i would give this episode two dead brothers out of five alive brothers (laughs) that doesn't make any sense are both of the dead brothers named sam one of them is named sam and the other one is named Clarky Hollywood. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. Uh, well, that's too bad. I guess we won't see yeah. him again. All right. Well, any final thoughts before we uh, sign off? Man, that was the season ender, too. What about yeah, that was not a good way to, to end the season. I feel I, w- I will probably talk about this a little bit more later, but I just feel like in the 60s, they don't take television as seriously as we do in the early... 2000s or 2020 right like we really expect a lot from television i think nowadays and back then they're just like i don't know write something put it on television who cares right and they're just like it's just dumb television so it doesn't really have to make that much sense but nowadays we're like very dissect things and 
and we were like, this has to make sense, or like, what's the motivation here? So, well, even Thirty Rock has a joke because they have Alec Baldwin on it, and there's like a big long speech where he's like telling Tracy Jordan, like, oh, you want to ruin your reputation? Do television. Like, it doesn't matter all this great stuff you've done. And he's listing things that he's really yeah. done, like awards and like critically acclaimed stuff. And he's like, if you are a regular on a TV show, like nobody will take you seriously anymore. And that was like, what, the early 2000s? I mean, even then, the joke lands because it's true. It was considered slumming. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe not so much now because there's more money in it maybe, but I would say like prestige television, like HBO or AMC even, but like, yeah, an ABC sitcom would still be considered like gross. Anyway, uh, bad end to a season, bad end to an episode. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, that's the perfect way to end a bad episode. So thanks everyone for listening. And until we keep on trekking, what? <laughs> I stole your line. I'm being a brat. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> thanks everyone for listening patiently, right? Thanks everyone for listening quietly, Emily. And until we see you next time, keep on trekking. <laughs>